What is up, Thrive Tribe? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. This is your host, your homie, and your chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And holy shit, this is our first episode in eight months. And I first off want to thank you for your patience in this process. The reason that I took a little hiatus from recording the podcast was because honestly, I just became overwhelmed by all the different projects I was taking on and it was just a bandwidth issue. I can't really outsource my interviews or outsource my conversations on the podcast and I enjoy this so much but it got to the point where I could only do so, so much when it comes to coaching my clients and students, creating content, you know, traveling, doing all the other endeavors that I'm taking on. And I didn't want to put out podcasts that were half ass that my heart wasn't fully invested into. So I'm finally in the place where I feel like I can give my heart, my soul to the show. And I'm really grateful to be back recording with some epic human beings. And I can't think of a better person to bring on in the first show back than the one and only Chris Fowler. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because you've probably seen Chris on ABC or ESPN doing college game day or announcing a major tennis tournament or the NBA or NFL draft, which I think he was also a part of. But in this conversation, we go so much deeper than just his career broadcasting and at ESPN. We dive deeper into his personal story, his personal struggles, and how he was able to break through some of those barriers and really create a beautiful life for himself that is filled with impact, that is filled with health, that is filled with inspiration. So I'm so grateful that you're here. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. And just for your listener experience, there's not going to be any interruptions. There's no ads, none of that. I want you to be able to seamlessly listen to this and really listen and see how you can implement some of the things we talk about into your own life. I love you so much. Enjoy the episode. Much love. Peace. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And I don't know about you, but I missed doing these in-person podcasts. And this is the first one we've done in almost two years. And I cannot think of a better human being to be on this journey with, on this episode with, than the one, the only Chris Fowler. And for those who don't know, Chris is one of the most respected hosts and play-by-play commentators on ESPN, ABC. If you're a fan of college football or Grand Slam tennis, you've probably seen this man's face in your living room. And um, that's who we got. But not only, not only is Chris incredible at his craft, he is also the full embodiment of a healthy, happy human being. And that's really why I was intrigued and inspired to bring him on the show today. So Chris Fowler, welcome, my man. Jeremy, thank you, man. It's good to share this space as we begin a weekend. Looking forward to it. Yeah, brother. 
So you said that this was your first in-person podcast in a while. I do a podcast. I've had exactly one half of one episode done in person. We launched at the time you're talking about when the world was shutting down. And so it's been nothing but two-dimensional Zoom screens. And that's really not how podcasting came about, right? It was invented to be two people in a room talking and and here we are. Yeah. So I want to know these last two years since COVID started, what are a couple of the challenges or the obstacles that you faced, maybe maybe personally, professionally, that you were kind of forced to evolve as a human? It changes everything. It changes your relationship. I've got a great marriage, 22 years, but you know, spending a lot more time together than we normally do. Uh, you right. know, Jennifer and I had to work through that. It ended up being very good for our, our marriage. I saw other relationships kind of falling by the wayside, which you can understand because that was kind of a seismic shift in how you live. So there's that adjustment. You know, you don't see friends. It's far less social. So if you're really nourished by being mm. in person with people as opposed to Zoom cocktail hour, which we did a lot of, you know, that was a real missing piece. My job, everything changed. Obviously, it's built around travel. That was pretty gnarly, as we know. It's also built around a a collaborative production. You know, TV is so collaborative and a big college football game or a big tennis tournament involves a lot of people. And instead of being able to share a room with them and have drinks and go to dinner, protocols, rules. I mean, we we were basically isolated from each other. So, you know, and then you do the games, Jeremy, I mean, you're in these stadiums that are built for, you know, 70, 80, 100,000 people. And when you do a game, you put a lot of energy out to do your job, but you get a lot back from the crowd and you walk out of the kind of buzzing. My wife says, I can't even be around you. Come back from doing a game, 100,000 people and the collective energy in the building is in your body, right? Right. And instead of getting back that energy, there was nothing. Silence, empty stand. So I found it in a way more taxing. You're, you're, you're trying hard to bring energy, to paint a picture, to do the game justice, but you're getting nothing back. So, you know, it, everything was challenging about that two years. I, I'm really proud of the fact that I, I never got COVID and, and, and missed a day of work and, and let the team down and all that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of that's just luck. But um, you know, I, I took care of myself, and we were down here in Miami for a lot of it, which is weird because, you know, it's about checking your cares at the door when right. you live in Miami, right? It's about, you know, being free and uninhibited, and there was so much that we were restricted from doing. That's yeah. weird. I, I drove uh, by uh, down the street in our neighborhood, and maybe people can relate. You know, there's still a residual effect in all of our minds from those two years. And I will get, I, I don't want to say I was traumatized, but it's a PTSD-like callback to taking a walk at one in the morning around the neighborhood with my headphones on, trying to just, you know, keep my mental health together when there was nothing going on and nothing to do. Yeah. I had to just get out of the house and go somewhere, but you couldn't go anywhere except walking around the streets late at night. And so I would, you know, listen to everything from Radiohead to Leonard Cohen to War on Drugs. I mean, some, some of this stuff is pretty, you just kind of want to, as opposed to pretending it's not there, sit in the feelings of anxiety and uncertainty and loneliness. I, I didn't try to pretend those weren't real. So the songs are pretty, are, are pretty sad and intense. And every once in a while, I'll just be retracing those steps and man, right back there. 
you know, mm. walking around pitch black moon hanging overhead with my headphones on, or sometimes just take the headphones off and listen to the birds and the frogs and, and nature out there, which you did plenty of too. And, you know, so it's still there, I think for all of us, uh, to varying degrees, but man, um, it, it, and I think you come out of it. I mean, we, we've talked about gratitude and appreciation and, and, and all those things are heightened and I, I, I take nothing for granted now anymore. So, right. Yeah. And for those who don't know, I think it, I think it needs to be said. So the way that Chris and I first met each other was probably at this point, three weeks ago yeah. on the basketball court <laughs> in Miami beach. Well, I, I knew through Instagram, I knew who you were and we had a couple of mutual friends. I'm getting my ass kicked in one-on-one, uh, by this young guy who's a really good player. You, and I think you knew him and you, you started conversing with him. So you come over to the court yeah. and then there was a kind of delayed, holy shit, like, are you? And, and <laughs> yeah. So, so for those who don't know, I went to university of Oregon, but much before that, College football was such a big part of my life, especially on Saturdays. It was a huge way that my dad and I connected, right? And um, so so I grew up watching you and not to make you sound old or anything because you're fucking like <laughs> the most youthful you can tell human. Me, you can tell the truth. No, so so I, I saw you and it was the first time I had seen you not in a suit and tie because I'd always seen you on TV. And I was like, this guy is fucking jacked. Like what? <laughs> and, and that's why I, I kind of had a double take. I was like, holy shit, is that Chris Fowler? And um, later that night- we I know, did, that's we, weird. So two, two times in one day. Yeah. You, you, you're, you're in the same, the odds of this, that's why I think the universe, it's, it's kind of weird. You're sort of meant to sort of connect with somebody. That in, in a giant arena, same- row going down to the seats you're like, you had better seats than i did you're like 10 15 rows lower but the chances that yeah are are, are tiny the i don't know the i don't know what the bigger long shot is me having better seats than you <laughs> to a sporting event by the way it was the warriors heat game or the fact that we had two run-ins the same day I know. and i'm curious to know like I think you even said it to me that night. You're like, the universe is trying to tell us something right now. What's so cool though, is you told me the story of being a student at Oregon and game day was at Oregon a lot. The ducks were obviously rolling back in those days. And that was one of our favorite places to take the show. The energy was so unique there. West coast shows start at six in the morning. It's pitch black. Half the time the rain is falling. You can't even see the crowd. I used to joke, you, you can't see them, but you can hear them and you can smell the crowd back there because there was a party already continuing or yeah, starting or whatever exactly. when we went to Eugene yeah. and we just had a blast doing the show there, then going to games at Austin. And the fact that, you know, you're one of those students standing back there in the dark, just watching the show. And then we bump into each other down here many years later. It, it really is kind of cool. I, I don't, I don't reflect very often about stuff like that, but the idea that every single game day show we did, there were, you know, three, four, five, 10, 15,000 people. Sometimes the crowds were that big. And, and all of them have a powerful memory in that day. And occasionally, like, you know, one in a hundred thousand, you actually run into somebody who can, who can uh, yeah. recall being there. And then you have a connection. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, we talked about like the synchronicity of that experience, right? A few weeks ago and just really the power of intuition, like, because I feel like those signs are always kind of happening around us. Yeah. But if we're not tuned in to that moment, if we're, if we're too busy, right? If our monkey mind is running wild, then we miss those moments of magic. 
So I'm just curious, like how important is intuition in your life, in your career, just really trusting yourself in those signs that come your way? Yeah, it's totally essential. I have that conversation with every young person I mentor, every class that I speak to, and I love talking to college classes. And yeah, it's about your inner voice, your gut, trusting that above all else. But then you have to try to give people some tools. Okay, how do you get there? How do you cut the static out so that you can actually hear the voice that's coming through? Um, It's tricky, right? I mean, there's huge, great books and podcasts just about that topic, about getting out of your own way and and letting the inner voice come in and then learning to trust it. It begins with self-awareness. If you don't know yourself well, if you don't like yourself, then those tools don't really work, right? I mean, you have to develop the skills at self-awareness and and then really make some tough choices because when I say cut out the static, I don't, I don't just mean, you know, shit on your devices. I mean, sometimes it's words from people who love you, who really mean well. They want the best for you. But that doesn't mean they know what's best for you. I think only you do. And so I'm just very big in, in making sure that people understand the power of controlling their own self-image at the expense of all outside static. We all take feedback. I mean, you need to be checked. I get that. That's part of life is, is getting feedback and then reacting to it. But if it's negative feedback or stuff that you feel doesn't line up with your own self-image, consider what's being said, who's saying it. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. You probably know about the topic that I do. But, I mean, when people give you advice and they're – projecting stuff from their life, their fear, their scars, their stuff on you. And parents do this to kids, older siblings do it to younger ones. I mean, it's just, it's a part of um, human communication. You're bringing so much of your own stuff into it. So that's what's going on a lot. And I think that, you know, once if once these students sort of understand that, um, you know, nothing is more important than the inner voice. I, I've made a lot of bad decisions and mistakes, but that's probably been because I wasn't tuned in enough or I didn't trust it or I ignored mm. it or I allowed somebody else's input to overpower it, you know, but when it comes to my job, I'll just say this, like I, you know, I have the career that I imagined. I have the job that I dreamt of since I'm 10 years old and it isn't by accident. And there's a lot of things that could have short circuited it. I could have taken a detour a hundred times, man. And the thing that kept me, on the right path, or at least the path that's gotten me here, was was trusting my gut. When you're lucky enough in life to have choices, um, that's it. Even if you're even if you're talented, whatever you choose to do, you have great passion for it. You have some lucky breaks. You're in a great position. We're still the sum of our choices. And I could have made five, six choices early in my career, even before I got to ESPN, when I was advised not to take the job would have been a bad fucking thing to turn this job down. Okay. And and head somewhere else. And I sensed that at the time it was kind of people think, well, ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, not then I got, I worked there in 86. Okay. So it was seven years old, this company, and it didn't, wasn't the worldwide leader in anything. So the idea that that was a no brainer to just jump into this, you know, this cable sports network in Connecticut. No, it was the unconventional choice. It was something I was advised not to do. So that was where it all started. And then within ESPN, you're offered different assignments. If 
might have said yes to a couple of things that they thought were really attractive that they wish I would have said yes to, then college football never would have opened up, never would have ended up in the set of game day or calling games. So that's everybody's life and career, right? You, you have choices. You just need to be aware of what's going on, that, that this is an important moment. You have the power to make this choice if you're lucky enough and, and you know, make a good choice. And how do you do that? You, you, you trust yourself. You listen to yourself, I think, for the most part. Yeah. Now, I, I've had, made some terrible choices like buying real estate or not buying this stock. I haven't been able to kind of channel my inner voice well enough to the areas like, you know, it comes to make, right. making money in those ways. Uh, damn it. But, you know, in career, in relationships, my marriage, thankfully, I've, I've stayed out of my own way enough to just let the inner voice come through and make good choices. Okay. <laughs> there's there's so lot, many, man. exactly. I was like, I was like, there's so many directions we can take this, but, but you just talked about choices, right? And one of my first mentors, I'll never forget this. He basically told me like life is all about the C in between the B and the D, right? And B is your birth. D is your death. And the C stands for the choices that you make in between. Mm -hmm. And you're 100% responsible, accountable for those decisions and those choices. And yeah, you're going to fuck up. But the fact that you had the, the trust in yourself to ignore some of the people who were saying to go otherwise a different direction and really follow the path and follow your passions and pursuing those things full on is, is incredible. But I, there's one more thing I want to ask you because you mentioned you mentioned a lot of people struggle to listen to that inner voice, right? Mm -hmm. And fully tune in. And you also mentioned that the root cause of that could be a lack of self-love. Yeah. So I'm wondering for you, like, how can someone start cultivating more self-love in their life? Man, that's one of the important questions in life. I think that, you know, it's easy to say, you know, know yourself better, like yourself more. We're all the product of not just our DNA, but our environment. You know, so many people that I know had really toxic situations. They were not given unconditional love by their parents. Um, if they were given love, there were heavy conditions attached to it. Right. Get good grades, you know, on and on. So it's hard to sort of undo because they're, but, it, but I think you, you, you can't use excuses. You, you have to sort of, you, we are still accountable. For, for our own choices, our own, you, you can control always some things in life. I think you can control a lot less than you think you can. Um, I'd like to say that control is largely an illusion, but that's controlling other people's thoughts, feelings, and actions and what the universe throws at you. You can control, obviously, and you're, you embody this, you can control your attitude. Mm. You can control your energy your effort, how you treat other people. And I, I, I say this with a caveat, okay? I know there are people who are struggling, who are not able to control those things. And, and then if you're, if you're in that world, obviously get help and, and, and fight your way through it. But I, because I don't want to just, you know, trivialize those issues. Those issues are real. I say, wait a minute, Wow, what are you talking? I can't control these things. I, but hopefully you're in a place where you've, you've um, you know, healthy enough that you do have control over those things. And, and then, um, you know, just 
trying to shed regrets, man. I mean, I, mm. I think that, that that gets in the way of a lot of self-love because you beat yourself up for the choices that you made, the things you didn't do. And, and then you imagine other things that aren't even real that you, you beat yourself up about. So I, I've, listen, I don't, I don't want to come across as like the most <laughs> evolved person. I mean, all the things that get in the way of happiness and success, I have been through all of it, okay? It took yeah. me a long time. I was not always happy with my job. I was doing a job I dreamt of doing, but I had, there was a lot of shit in the middle there where I was fighting through some stuff. And dealing with the feelings of being underappreciated, underused, underpaid, all that stuff. You know, that we you go through that. Right. We, I've been one employer for 36 years. So it hasn't been, it's not like a Disneyland ride. That's my employer, but it, it, there, there's ups and downs, obviously, even though the, you know, the arc is generally positive. But I've learned something, Jeremy, that's really important. And it's, again, easier said than done. But if you can disconnect the pain from your past experiences. We all go through stuff that's painful. I mean, that's just life. And if you're not feeling it, you're not, you're not in touch with yourself. You're just, you're denying it and that's not right. But as time passes, if you can disconnect the pain from that memory, then you're left with wisdom. Mm. I didn't, I didn't coin that, but Past experiences, we're all a sum of them. All experiences are growth. I really believe that. Sometimes the intensely negative experiences offer the best opportunity for growth. I know that's people go roll their eyes and say, shit, it's like, why, yeah, that's yeah, psychobabble, yeah. but it really is true, right? I mean, the intensity of the experiences we talked about at the top of, you know, dealing with COVID, it, there is great potential for growth just because the experience is so intense. Yeah. So if you can disconnect the pain just accept the lessons and the growth that comes from just being around and going through stuff. Um, you know, I'm big on the word wisdom because I think wisdom is far different than intelligence or, you know, smarts or whatever. It's sort of like your acquired, um, your acquired knowledge is from being on this planet, being attentive, being observant, being aware. And, you and hopefully you're yeah. left with wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said- Small but, W, maybe not big W. Exactly. But. <laughs> well, you you also mentioned, I remember, and you just touched on it again, but you seem to have mastered detaching, uh, detaching certain emotions from past experiences. Yeah. Because ultimately what I've learned too is- Memories are going to stay memories. You're not just going to be able to fully erase that. No, no. Yeah. But what you can do is change your relationship to that memory. Yeah, that's well put. And, yeah. and that is a practice that takes a while to cultivate. But for example, I look back 20, 24 years old in a span of 48 hours. I don't think I told you this. Uh, in a span of 48 hours, uh, I got fired from my dream job which was actually the Oakland A's. So I grew up a huge A's fan. I got a job with them out of Oregon, was doing marketing. Um, it's actually a really good is story. Is that Billy Beans is that the Moneyball era or is that? Was, nah, it, was, it, was, it was 2014. They were literally- Oh, much later than that. Okay, yeah. Best record in the league. how young you are, man. Best record <laughs> in the league. They had Cespedes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you, they, they made a terrible- tr they, Their whole season went to shit after they let me right. go. Huh. I don't think it's a coincidence. No, no. How could it be? But um, they traded Cespedes for John Lester. Lester was terrible. Yeah. Anyways, 
And then in that 48 hour span, the girl I was dating at the time, I found out she was cheating on me. Right. In that 48 hour period, I was like so lost. I was literally dazed and confused. We were talking about that movie earlier and it was really the first time I was faced with serious adversity. And for a couple of weeks, I was just playing the victim, feeling sorry for myself. Like, I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm capable of so much more. I deserve better. And, and it's very easy now for myself to look back and be like, I'm so fucking grateful those sequence of events happened exactly how they did because I wouldn't be pursuing this path that I'm on now, right? How can we cultivate mm. that mindset, like that hindsight, hindsight 2020, like how can we have that kind of gratitude for those challenges and struggles in the present moment? Like, have you found a way to yeah. tackle that? Just by, by leaning on the lessons learned, what you talked about, the fact that sometimes forced change can be the best change. It's uncomfortable. You didn't plan to be thrust into this situation. So many people right now, I think, on the planet are pivoting, trying to reinvent themselves, trying to change courses because stuff was thrown at them. They didn't have a choice. But sometimes if we have choices, we stay in the comfort zone. We don't make the changes and the choices that really propel us to grow more. And, you know, everybody, you, you, everybody listening to this has heard that, you know, all, all growth comes outside the comfort zone. You got to be comfortable getting uncomfortable and all those kinds of those cliches, but they really are true. And, and, you know, you, you were forced to make a change in your career. You rethink everything. You're, sometimes your identity is attached to what you do for money. Mm. Try to advise people not to have that happen, but it's easier said than done. People can't believe that I'm not, I don't think of myself as sportscaster and that's all I am or largely who I am. It's, it's what you do for money. So you lost your job. You had to pursue something. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know it's going to end up here, but acceptance, what choice do you have? Yeah. Are you going to allow that to destroy you? Are you going to be angry about it, bitter about it? Speak, you said being sad is okay. I'm not saying these emotions, be angry, be bitter, but don't feel let it, it. Don't let it dominate shit. you. Feel it. Yeah. yeah. Feel it because you, you, you're not going to do yourself any good if you pretend it's not real, but just understand that, you know, that that's just a reactive state. And, and as a little time passes, that's not going to help you move forward to yeah. hold on to that stuff. And, and, you know, whether or not you believe that things happen for a reason, whether it's God's hand or just the universe or um, random events, somehow sorting themselves out, yeah. whatever your, you know, belief structure is, haven't we all found there's a lot to that? Yeah. T tune in to those synchronicities, like tune yeah. in to those things that keep recurring, right? Visually, mentally, emotionally, and talking about the importance of not numbing yourself and actually allowing yourself to feel. So you had that happen. See, that to me is then useful yeah. going forward because look, the A's, I got, I got fired, but look what happened since then. Maybe that relationship, maybe you find a better one. Uh, or a different one. And, and so you were forced to make a couple of quick pivots there, but it worked out. And so the next time that happens, you can kind of draw on that and remember what helped you get out of that state of being down in the dumps and, and moving forward and, and use all that. It's, it's harder because, you know, 
lot of times I talk to young people and you said you, that was the first adversity you had faced. You're, you're, you're 24, right? I mean, yeah. listen, I mean, there's all kinds of adversity. I, I'm the adversity that I dealt with was, um, was in high school. My dad was diagnosed with cancer. So I was 14 years old. He struggled for two years, died when I was 16. And you know, that that's adversity. It's not unique to me. Plenty of people deal with that stuff. Plenty of people never know one parent or their parents are split up or, you know, all kinds of things in our childhood can, can, um, you know, cause the stress and anxiety. And, but I, I think that working through that, the lessons from that have really shaped me. It's hard to, I'm not very, a very reflective self analytical person, but obviously you, you look back, okay, you're, you lose your dad at a young age. What is the lesson there that we're guaranteed nothing? Make the most of the time we have. Don't take it for granted. The small things are precious. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not some, you know, evolved entity here sitting here like remembering that at all times. We all get a little crazy, but overall, just understanding. That's why I think that being sedentary isn't as comfortable for me as being active. Why? Yeah. Why? You know, pursuing good health is super important to me <laughs> because health health took you know my dad's life in his forties. He, he's, he died like a dozen years younger than I am now. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's stuff nobody wants to deal with. And then watch your, watching your mom struggle, watching your younger brother struggle as a family, you, you know, it's, that's adversity, but it, it, it did make me stronger. It did shape me in certain ways. Um, but I feel for anybody going through that stuff because it's not, it's not easy and it's not automatic that it's going to work out the way you want it. You, you just have to sort of one day at a time. What are, yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that. What are some of the emotional wounds perhaps from that experience? Not just the actual act of your dad passing, but that two-year time period that life was just different. Right. Like, are there any emotional wounds that maybe lingered on for a, a long period of time? Yeah, sure. I, I don't know if I would phrase it as emotional wounds. I mean, that would be one label for it. I mean, there's, there are things that, um, there's lingering sadness about the fact that your, your dad's not going to be there to see you not, not even graduate high school, much less the same college he went to and my mom went to. Mm. And, and then, you know, he was a theater director and an actor early in his career and then a professor. So he was about the performing arts. Yeah. And that's not far off from what I do. So it would have been very cool to be able to share some mm -hmm. of that for how, not, not that I needed my dad to show pride in me. I, I, it really isn't about, geez, it would have been great to have him have a look of pride in his eyes. I mean, we're human. It, that validation. Nothing wrong with that, but it, but just not getting to know each other as adults, not being able to lean on him, pick up the phone and say, "Hey, you know, I, I just sucked. I just couldn't get in the flow state." I know, and he knows that inside out. So, on on so many levels, Jeremy, and then you know, just the the effect that that had on my mom, the struggles and the effect that it had on my brother. You, these are people you you love and you want to band together as a family when something like that happens. Ideally you do, but the reality is we're all struggling with that stuff individually too. And, and we're all processing it and coping in our, in our own way based on how we're wired. So I know the ideal thing is uh, families come together and, but how many times have you seen the opposite? 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, I don't want to share too much, but I mean, person I love most, you know, different kind of trauma in the family, but it's, it wasn't necessarily collective strength that mm. defined how they move forward. It was sort of like, keep your own head above water. And that's something that's all you could do. You know, you yeah. offering a hand to somebody you might get pulled under. And, and, and so it, it's tough. I mean, it, and, and I think that, you know, I, I, long ago, there, there's, no, there's no pain attached to that. But I do think that as I get, you know, into the age where, um, you know, your, your peers are dealing with that, that kind of the serious health issues. I don't want to drag this down or make it, make it sad. But, you know, like to, to joke about it, you know, you, some, something happens to someone and their life's cut short in their, in their teens. Oh, my God, it's a tragedy. 20s, oh, awful. 30s. So young, forties. Oh God, way too soon. Fifties. Oh, sixties. Eh. <laughs> it could happen. Seventies. Right. Well, it's been a good run. Eighties. Oh man. Well, no complaints. You know what I mean? So, so I'm, I'm not, I'm in the back half of those decades that I just clicked off there, you know? So, you know, health comes into play. You, you try not to worry about stuff. You push it away, but you know, when you're surrounded by more and more people that have that call yeah. from the doctor and say, Hey, we got to talk. Yeah. This isn't going to be easy. Right. And, and then I have so many friends and so many people and that that's life. And that's life as you get older, but um, you know, you're 59 now. Yeah. I'm 59. Like if, by the way, if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you need to get your ass over to YouTube and watch this. So you can actually see Chris's vitality, his vascularity. Oh, come on. The art <laughs> popping through the shirt. No, but in all seriousness, I mean, the big, one of the big silver linings from that experience with your father yeah. and your mom getting Alzheimer's, you know, years after that, was you really understanding the importance of prioritizing your health. Yeah. And I mean, you're a fucking embodiment of that man oh, so thank you man well you've got a lot to teach me and other people do i just listen to smart people and you know there's no shortage of advice a lot of it's weird you got to sort through what, what's real and what's not but i, I do think I'm, I'm very very open-minded as i think we all should be to ways to maintain our health yeah in a way outside of the conventional structure of medicine in this country which is up and yeah. big no, pharma you don't have to, and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, this is right. You, you know more yeah, about this yeah, than yeah. I do. This is your lane and people right. listening probably are nodding their head, but man, it just be open-minded, be curious, be vigilant and, and just, and, and, you know, just take care of yourself. You know, what are three things, Chris, that are non-negotiables for you when it comes to your health, things that you do on an everyday basis? Well, I've, I've, I've never been one that's all about routines. I, I like to just kind of see how I'm feeling, be spontaneous. But I have figured out that in the morning, as I get older, drink a bunch of water. Um, it's, this is weird, but I, I use like skin lotion, moisturizing lotion. If, if, the, if the skin is our biggest organ, I feel like hydrating inside and outside for some reason makes me feel good because I wake up dehydrated. Um, caffeine, I'm a strong believer in in the morning, but the number one thing, Jeremy is stretching. 
and, and just getting physically moving, getting in nature. One of the great things about living in Miami for a lot of the year is you can slide your door open, walk outside, hopefully feel some sunshine, feel some nice soft air coming off Biscayne Bay. We have some very nice looking plants in our around our house. And so just being in nature and just kind of that's gratitude rushes in for me. So if you can start the day that way, mm. sometimes I'll try to stretch outside, but, but even if I am inside on a mat, just get the body going yoga poses because and that's become non-negotiable. Like I, you know, whatever's going on, I, I feel shitty if I haven't taken the time to do a nice 10, 12 minutes of stretching and, you know, yoga in the morning, this wasn't like invented in the pandemic, right? They've been doing it for 5,000 years, right? right? Yeah. For 5,000 years, people have gotten up, done sun salutations, yeah. done downward dog, done cobra pose, done cat cow, and all these things that, that anybody that practices yoga knows what I'm talking about. You get the spine moving, get the hips moving, get the shoulders moving. And I feel 10 years younger when I finish it. And, and I'm not a, like a morning workout person. I, I, I tend to have better energy later in the day. Yeah. But- Starting the day that way, and um, and just sort of mind body. I, I I will do Wim Hof breathing. I will do cold plunges and cold showers. But that's not an everyday thing, right? But the the you know being in nature, stretching, drinking water, and it's, then being thankful. It's literally mastering the basics. Yeah, right. It's right. literally doing the most simple shit that's going to add the most life to our years and and everything that you said can be done and implemented so easily. It's like, you don't need to go to a gym. It's like, get outside. You're getting that sunlight. You're literally healing your cells, your mitochondria. You're hydrating your body. You're lubricating your organs. You're getting movement in. So you're generating right. blood flow, increasing levels of BDNF in the brain, creating these new neural connections, improving creativity, gratitude, like, so why did it take me so long to do this? Right? I, I did pieces of this, but I never really incorporated into this is, this is essential every morning until, I don't know, like the last couple of years. I don't know what took me so long, but I, I do feel, you know, much better now. I'm, 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 I'm not going to throw out like lifting numbers to you, but, but it's, it's almost uh, impossible if you were strong when you're young, being stronger than that when you're older is is difficult. I was never very strong. I was not any kind of athlete. Um, I didn't. I, I trained with no science, but to be able to, um, God, this is going to sound like such a bro gym thing, but I, I don't mean it this way. I'm just no fucking, judgment. I'm just Chris. fucking proud of it because I'm sitting here on a Friday in Miami and I I benched a number that I have not done in since my thirties. As a three at the beginning. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so again, please don't hate me for that. All you people out there. I, I, I just, well, because I'm self-conscious. I think that's it's sort of like, it, it, it's not to be, some of that stuff's not to be shared. It's sort of like, but it made me feel great because I've had two surgeries where the pec tendon was ripped off the bone. Yeah. One on each side, about a year and a half apart, you know, elbow injuries, um, you know, tendon tears and, and knee injuries. And all that's done is maybe more focused on, on fitness and recovery and gaining strength. So to, to be able to come back and, and that's how I started. I don't, I worked out this morning and I did that. And I'm like, 
I am so grateful. Oh, that was this morning? You, it was this morning. Set? This morning. Okay. So the, the idea, uh, grateful that great surgeons I've had the access to and great physical therapists right. and who've connected with me, and grateful that I, I'm, I'm driven enough to be able to do that because you would not have gotten many people to put a wager on the table and say, you're going to be able to get back and be stronger with your bionic repair tendons than you were before at a much younger age. So I... I I feel qualified to talk to people because this has not been a lifelong thing for me. It's been a journey getting here with a lot of mistakes made and a lot of setbacks. Yeah. You know, you, you can say setbacks become comebacks. It's a, eh, it's a cute little thing and it's alliterative, but you know, it really is true. And so yeah. I'm all about, again, that's one of those things. It's like shit at the time you rock. Believe me, I didn't feel great when, when I, when you have it happened a second time and it's like a rubber band snapping in your shoulder. And you know, first time I had no idea what was going on. I, did, I had never had an upper body injury like that. The second time, oh, I cannot believe this. It's the other side. I know what this is going to take. Mm. I know how much time in a sling and packed in ice and five pound weights, you know, in, in physical therapy. But you know what? I'm sitting here to tell you that it made me better. It made me stronger. The, the mind-body connection, the appreciation of our health. I'm super, you know, we, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you know this too. We have friends that are very into this, but intent, purpose, mindfulness, focus, every rep, every exercise, it is there now, but it was a hard lesson to learn because I wasn't any of those things. Right. When I was younger, man. So I, I have. Are you open to receiving some feedback? Yes. Okay. I, I always have. Of course, to make I'm sure. open to receiving feedback. No. So, like, so you telling us that that you benched more than you've ever benched before today, right? I have. I, I, I was not a PR. I did it. Ten second story. LSU troopers standing around a bench at, uh, in Baton Rouge, <laughs> no screaming way. at me after game day. I did put up three plates uh, aside, which is which was more than I'd ever done, but just because I didn't want to disappoint these the sons of bitches. The adrenaline of doing it, yeah. but, I, but and that was I was not fit. I was not mobile. I didn't have any of the things you would do for like holistic training. I was just a bench, and right. I haven't done that. So that was okay. That was twenty some years ago. So most since then. So no, but I think. You need to share shit like that. Like you, because my perspective is like, my perspective is like, how many people, not only, not only, not only younger people, but like, but people who are maybe getting older or feeling like they're getting over the hill, whatever, whatever you want to say. But like to see someone who has recovered from multiple surgeries, right? You're, you're almost 60 years old. And you're fucking. You say it that way. It's true, but no, I mean. I, <laughs> but listen, but when you're like that, shit's inspiring. So it's yeah. for me, it's almost like you're robbing people of that wisdom, because when I see like, holy shit, this dude, I just thought he was this dude on the TV screen, but this dude is fucking prioritizing his body. He's overcoming these obstacles, yeah. and it's like a lesson. It's inspiring as fuck. To well, be thanks, honest man. With I appreciate you. that. No, I get a lot of feedback. I do post. I don't post a lot. I don't, I'm not going to post like flex pictures. Uh, I, You're I not Adam Prater. I, I, I posted it. Well, no, I don't look like that either. But I, I think that you know, I posted a picture the other day on Instagram where I was I was literally demolished. I was laying flat in the ground. I, I was in a fetal position. My my trainer takes a couple pictures of me, and I thought, you know what. 
I am going to share this because people share their fitness experiences and moments of triumph and the flattering pictures. This is the exact opposite. Yeah. I looked destroyed. Now I recovered, but like, I thought that's what, that's what sometimes it is, man. Yeah. And, and it's not to sound like a, a football coach in the sec, but embrace the strain. I mean, you really have to, I, I'm fortunate because I love the process. It doesn't, I, I like every day. And so I would say to this, okay, the reason why it means a lot to me, what I did this morning is because I never chased a number. It's not never about that with me. And so it, it, that's why I don't really talk about that because it doesn't really matter what the number is. It's about progress and growth. And I did that the right way. I wasn't just, you know, some kind of reckless progressive overload to get my bench back up there or my deadlift back up there. Right. I just love it. I love doing it. I'm lucky that way. I've had good guidance. So you get stronger if you put some science behind it, right? If you put purpose and intent behind it, you get the results you want, but you're not chasing a result, a number, it's certainly not aesthetics. I mean, I, I look, I mean, everybody likes to look good, but I mean, that's not, that's really not what it's about for me. And, and, and it's just, I love the time in the gym. It's absolutely essential for my mental health. And, um, and I, I like, I like having people say, Hey, I needed that today. I, I've had injuries too. Right. Um, I thought there's no way back to what I was, much less get stronger. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that you can. You can. Hell yeah. When push you- yourself. Find somebody to push yourself when you're not quite there. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I, know, I don't ever lack motivation, but we all lack inspiration sometimes, you know, I think they're different. Motivation is the meta. Okay. I, I, I want to get fitter. I want to get stronger. I want to lose weight, whatever it is. You got to know what your goals are when you start out, but inspiration that's daily that comes and goes. You might be inspired in the morning, but not in the afternoon, vice versa. You know, you need that. You need that kick in the ass. Sometimes you need to find ways to generate that in yourself or surround yourself with people that can help you in that way. Yeah. I'm curious, when did you, when did you cultivate the ability to detach from outcomes and results and really just be addicted with the process, with the journey? Is that something that took time to cultivate in your career? Because I feel like for me personally, I feel like a lot of the things that I did as a young man were chasing external validation, right? Right. And doing things that maybe I knew I would get accolades for, but it might've not been fully aligned Mm. with my vision and my values. So when, is there a point in your life where you feel like you cultivated that skill to fully detach from the outcome and result? I don't know that I fully detach. I just, I just make it more about the process and the outcome. And that's the, that's the sports cliche, but hanging around a lot of smart people, sports psychologists, coaches who are genius in this area. And I've learned a lot of lessons and, and, and also athletes, you know, whether it's reading up of what, how, how Jordan was motivated, how Kobe was motivated, how, how the, the great tennis legends that have had the privilege of calling their matches, how they stay hungry and stay motivated. It's not, and, and it's weird, Jeremy, because what I do is all about the scoreboard, right? And, and, and there are people, you are what your record says you are. Well, see, I don't believe that, but it's, it's human nature. We, we, I'm around, I'm in, an, in a business where like ratings really matter. Yeah. 
And, and that's a judgment of how the production was received by an audience. It, it, to me, it's not a judgment of how well you did your job. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't get too concerned with the business side of it. There are people who do. I mean, look, when I did Game Day, we built the thing from nothing in 1990. The show was on life support into something that made a lot of money for the company. But to me, more importantly, connected with the people like you who are watching in Eugene, Oregon, and people who are watching on their couch with their dad and then come tell me that was the first memory that I had of watching sports on TV was, was watching you guys on Saturday morning. Very cool. That's privileged to be able to have people tell you that you, you were a part of their life in that way. But, and, and that's always what it was about for me was, was I know if it was a good show or a shitty show. And mm. so I don't care how many people say, great show, great show, great show. I know if I didn't meet my standard, I bet you this connects with you and, and hopefully with a lot of people listening to this, your standard is what matters. So it doesn't matter as much if 10 people tell you a great show. If you know it wasn't, you know, you could give a speech and you, you get hopefully some nice feedback, but you know, oh, you know what? I missed this point that I intended to make. I didn't, yeah. didn't flow the way I wanted it to. The experience of doing it, didn't feel quite as good as I wanted it to. Right. And that's a lot of why we do what we do. It's not external accolades. It's not um, what critics think. It, it's just like, hey, you know, I love every part of the process from the preparation to getting ready to when the light goes on, but you really want to enjoy the process of calling a game or a match, right? Because that's the essence of why yeah. I jumped into this. Why, why do you think college game day, why do you think you were able to contribute and really help create such an expansive experience? Like you said, it was on life support when you started in 1990 and college game day is fucking massive. For those who don't know, college game day is like absolutely huge. And I remember being a student at Oregon and we would always look at the schedule, like right when it came out and, and we would be like, like, what chance do we have of game day coming to one of our games? Like, is it going to be Stanford? Is it going to be USC? And then you got to don't lose the week before because exactly. you, you can blow it at the 11th hour. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what, what do you think it was about what you guys were doing, which you played a major role in that was able to really grow that movement and, and help create what it is today? authenticity be one word. I think that, look, the sport lends itself to that because there's so much passion. There's so much tradition. It's a colorful, vivid experience. You can do shows outside of stadiums and other sports. It's been done. I don't think it's quite the same as college football, you know? So, and, and the fact that you travel around and it's just not homogenous, you know, a, a, a Saturday morning at LSU isn't the same as one at Penn state or Oregon you know, or Texas. So the, the, the texture changes and it was our job to make sure we capture what was unique about that place. And it wasn't just going to be a bunch of screaming hungover kids with different color shirts on every week. We wanted to try to capture what was different, what was, what was cool about it. And, and I think um, we, we succeeded with the shows at Eugene and that's why we had so much fun doing it. But we also liked each other. Our passion for the sport was very authentic. All, all the cast on the show, very different people, different interests, different backgrounds. But what we had in common was we loved the sport and we lived it and we never had to, we, it was just never a, a chore to get excited about it. And I think that's one of the things that you know, I, I try to always remember is if, um, if I'm not authentically feeling something, then maybe I should 
choose a different assignment or, or, um, you know, if you have to fake it for too long, it, it doesn't work. I think that what, what, this is just for me when I talk to young people and not about getting into this business specifically, but just anything, you know, remember what it is that drew you to it in the first place. What was the essence of the experience that you had that, oh, had a light bulb moment. This could be mm. literally anything. Yeah. You could be an architect, you could be a musician, you could be an accountant, if, you know, numbers, whatever it is, not the idea of doing it. Because the idea of doing this job that, I'm, that I do is pretty great. A lot of people are seduced by the idea of being a TV sportscaster or being on SportsCenter or whatever. But that's not really important. It, it, the, you have to enjoy the essence of doing it. You have to enjoy the process of it because that's what lasts. Yeah. You know, so I, and we've all strayed, man. You, you, you stray and, 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 and you, you get a little that? bit because you get a little caught up in the trappings of it. Mm. You get a little, you, you get caught up in, um, oh, wow. Like, you know, we, we're at the biggest game of the week or, you know, you, you, Nick Saban says you did a great job or we, whatever it could be that kind That's of feedback. Cool. It is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, the, the essence of doing the job is conveying the excitement of a live sporting event to people who are just like I was when I was a kid getting introduced to sports by my grandmother, um, in, in the backyard of her apartment building in Illinois with a, with a folding chair and a transistor radio scoring, a Cubs game, every game, by the way, in a scorebook, which no, nobody even knows what that is. That's my grandmother. So I was with her. Uh, my parents didn't even care about sports. She got me into it. And so we got dropped off um, wow. at my grandparents' place on, on many weekends with a bowl of M&Ms and watched the earliest, like the earliest Super Bowl. I can remember just like post-merger NFL, AFL and watching those football games and then the Olympics and, you know, she got me into it, man. And, and I thought, what could be better than being one of those guys who gets to talk into a mic and convey the excitement of a Chicago Blackhawks game or a Cubs game in those days? And, and that's the essence of it, man. That's the essence. Yeah. It's just the energy of the experience in the moment, doing it, and um, getting in that flow state. And, and that feels really good. And yeah. it's not the paycheck. I, I had no idea what people in TV even made when I figured out I wanted to do this for a living. I certainly yeah. didn't care about fame. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, you can say, oh, bullshit. You, well, I mean, listen, we all love good feedback. I like to be able to get tables at a restaurant. I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I like to get out of a speeding for ticket sure. once in a while when the guy's hey. a Florida Gators fan. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but so but the traffics are not what it's about. No, it's, it's the essence of doing it. And I relate to that. Yeah. And that, and that hopefully whatever people do for money, they can be passionate about it because it's much easier to, to follow the path towards something you're passionate about than to, to convince yourself you love what you do if you don't, right? Like, and that's what so many people do. You, you get on the thing and like, geez, you know, I'm just, I, I have to like what I do more. It doesn't really inspire me. I, I'm not passionate about it, but I, I, I got to still love my job. Hard to do. It can be, it can be done. Yeah. But if you set yourself off path, and I say this to a lot of young people, man, this is like um, really, really important that I, I figured this out a long time ago. You don't have to know everything is about what you want to do. You don't have to know what you, your life should look like. You don't have to know who, what kind of woman you want to marry or guy. You, it's just more important to know what you don't want it to look like. Mm. So you don't set off on a path. If you don't like structure, 
You don't like having a boss, then, you know, don't channel towards a nine to five job because structure is going to drive you crazy. Maybe you love that. Maybe you love collaboration structure. You need it. Something inside you tells you you need that. Then make choices that move you in that direction. You don't have to know exactly where that's going to be, but I think it's important to not end up in a situation um, where you're, you're heading down a path where like, if you're lucky, the best case scenario is a midlife crisis. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, if you're, you're lucky, you'll have that light bulb and change course. Right. Some people never do. And I've yeah. got friends, unlikely to hear this podcast. I'm, I'm not going to name names who just like have regrets, man. Everyone's just going to hear this A lot podcast, of regrets. <laughs> Everyone. No, but I, I really, I've, I right? really, I mean, I we all re- know people. I really they're unhappy. They're, they're, they, so they go buy a Porsche because they, that's going to make them happy and feel young. And like they did, they, they, I didn't make shitty choices my whole life because look at this car that I have. Yeah, they, I, it, it, or I'm going to change my wife out for a younger man because that'll make me. No, that doesn't make you happy. They're putting a Band-Aid yeah. over a bullet wound. Yeah. The same shit that yeah. Big Pharma does, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. They think that this thing, this material thing or whatever it is, this validation externally is going to fulfill them. And- Yes, it might cure you in that moment for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, a couple hours. But then that same shit is going to wear off. Just like most of the medications that are given in America (laughs) are really just Band-Aids that cause you to be dependent. And you're on this vicious hamster wheel that just has you addicted to comfort, a slave to a salary, Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But something you said really resonated with me a couple things, but it's hard to like, every time you speak, there's like four or five different ways I could pivot. A too long winded. And I wish we could make it more bite size if you want. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. Cause it actually forces me to like really maneuver things with intention. So I really resonate with that. Cause I literally recorded the first podcast in my closet three and a half years ago had the shittiest mic garage band. I mean, yeah, you know, Santiago (laughs) knows like he's been on the journey with me and really so many people, I feel like start podcasts and before they even start, they're like, how can I monetize this? How can I monetize my audience? For me, I was just like, I love doing this shit. Like Mm -hmm. this gets me in flow state, connecting with other humans that are doing cool shit in the world that I admire, that I respect. And because I was attached, addicted, obsessed, passionate, whatever word you want to call it about that process. It's something that I want to continue. And I had this three month absence and I genuinely missed it. And I was like, I need to get back in there. I love learning from people. That's why well, we have made a dollar from our podcast. Yeah. We don't, we don't sell ads monetizing. It wasn't a goal. Would, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but um, yeah, it's, it's, this is what we're doing right here. It's the research that, you know, and then you know, sometimes uh, the editing is hard work, but it, that there's also great fun in taking these conversations and then sometimes cleaning up your mess, their mess. You yeah. think I'm long winded. We had, we had a guest get a 17 minute answer in a podcast episode. <laughs> she, she had a, her answer was 17 minutes long. Yeah. Now, part of that was we didn't, I didn't know her well. She didn't trust I was going to get to various things that she wanted to say. So I'm just going to empty the chambers now. So 17 minutes later, I mean, that's, that's, you know, you, Santiago, you can't edit, you can't have a yeah, 17 yeah, minute yeah. answer. So now you got to, you got to edit it and you got to kind of re, you know, piece it together. So I'm curious to fun. know. 
I'm curious to know. And another thing that you mentioned actually before, before we shift and pivot, and it's so funny you mentioned this because it was literally like the word that was right there marinating in my mind was authenticity. Mm. Right. And I felt, I feel that because like when I was watching college game day, I felt like each one of you, whether it was Herb Street, Corso, and yourself, like you guys all had your individual uh, personality and like like little quirks that made you you, that made you unique. And when you guys all came together, it was like this beautiful melting pot of of just natural personality and and it just meshed really well. And I think that's why it's yeah, because you guys and, were fucking real. But it man. doesn't work if you're not real. Like do you watch the, like the Turner that, you know, Shaq, Kenny Smith, I mean, Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, the, he, he's a friend. The other three are acquaintances. I mean, they have that same kind of natural effortless chemistry, very different people, different approaches. They view the game through their own lens, but it all works and comes together. Right. You cannot cast and create that. You, yeah. you have to hope mm. that, that, um, well, you can, I take that back. You can cast it, but, uh, it's hard to create it. If you, if you don't have the natural chemistry, you can't, you can't, you, you can work politely with people. That's the majority of, of shows that you see or booths that you, you listen to, you know, you're, you're professional, you're cordial, um, you have drinks and dinner together, but that doesn't mean that you're going to click in the same way. And, and I'm talking about we did, we've done this for a couple of decades, that show. So you, over time, how did, how did authenticity come into play in terms of creating this healthy, beautiful partnership for over 20 years with your wife? Where does authenticity come into play there? Well, I think that, you know, finding someone that, you know, where you can be comfortable in your own skin, you're not fronting you're not trying to be someone you're not i mean right how's that going to work over time right and understanding that um you know people can evolve but it's tough to change certain aspects of who they are so it's it's important to make a good choice but yeah i mean it's 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 an organism a, a relationship like that it grows and evolves and you're going to have your hiccups and you're going to have your challenges and sometimes it's hard work and she doesn't mind if i say that it's true and i don't want to overemphasize that because it's also oh, for sure. beautiful, but, um, you know, Kings of Leon are a band that are friends of mine and, you know, it's a beautiful war you know, is a song they have. And it's anybody that has been in a long-term relationship. You listen to lyrics, it resonates, you know, it's, you know, you don't think of it as a, as it's a, a song. war. What's the song? Beautiful war. Okay. Now it's, it's, it's meaning it's something worth fighting for. Um, it, it's a cause that is, is noble, you know, trying to nurture and, and grow a romantic relationship with your, your life partner and, I don't, I, don't, I don't use words like soulmate or stuff like that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, so, so I'm going to challenge you a little bit. So I'm curious to know, cause my, my parents have been together over 40 years and I'm, I'm somebody I really like, I, I genuinely try to extract as much wisdom from the people in my life, not in a transactional way, but just because I want to be better. Of course. So other than the very mainstream responses of, communication and things like that. What would you say is maybe one quality or one activity or one agreement that Jennifer and you have that has maybe helped take that relationship to the next level and continuing it to evolve? I don't know if it's an agreement, but I, I cannot 
overemphasize the importance of laughing, of humor. We connected initially mm. by figuring out that although we're really different people with different backgrounds, we both we both loved the same movie and and had the same belly laugh reaction to this is Spinal Tap. Our, our production company is Mini Stonehenge. If you, if you know the movie, it's a it's a sight gag in the movie where right. they they build a Stonehenge monument that's a, a foot and a half tall, not eighteen feet tall. But yeah. but we both laughed at that. And I think that, you know, connecting in that way is like, oh, wow. And then just making each other laugh, right? I mean, I, I did a whole podcast on laughter. Without that, relationships sometimes get stagnant, but, but a good laugh can take a friendship mm. and go, boom, we're going to go two steps ahead. Uh, the normal progress of a romantic relationship can get escalated if you can just make each other laugh and, and continue to do so over time and find the humor in things so that as you hang out long enough together, you've got this whole vocabulary of stuff you laugh about inside jokes, right? I mean, it's, God, we've all needed that to get through the last couple of years, man. And if you have a sense of humor where you find funny, even in the dark, even in the challenging, even in the anxious, you know, sometimes especially in, the, in those things, um, it, it really does help. So I, I, I just find couples that can't make each other laugh, that, that don't, find the humor. I, I pity it. I, I just think it's hard work, you know? I mean, in, in whatever form that takes between those two people. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're just dead serious and the sex is so great that none of that matters. But I, I, I think right? that I think humor makes everything better, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I really it, do. And you, you, you just think someone told me this and I didn't, I'm listening to an audiobook. book. Uh, um, it's funny cause it's called you thrive. So it's close. Right. It's a textbook for, for the happiness uh, of, of college students. And, you know, there, there are just like, there are just so many lessons in there, but they said that when you poll people and ask, what are the qualities in someone who is leading them, right. leading them in a company that, that are extremely important humor. Now, would you have thought that? Cause I didn't, but they, if their leader, if they're if you can, they can find the humor and bring some humor and just ratchet down the intensity and be a human being and share a laugh, which just levels the playing field, right? Between boss and employee. Yeah. God, I didn't, I didn't, that never occurred. I just heard it yesterday on, on, on the ride across Alligator Alley. I thought, well, that's, that's new information. It's a new idea, but it, it makes sense to me. It's like, you know, when, when you polled soldiers, what is the number one quality? that sort of defines whether they will be able to do their job at the pinnacle level. It's not bravery. It's not valor, courage. It's love. Love, the quality of that, being able to feel and accept love for each other was way more powerful for for soldiers in combat than the idea of being loyal to a flag or loyal to the ideas or the, the Marine Corps motto it was love for the guy next to them. Right. Wow, and it makes sense. Powerful. If you think about it, that, yeah. that was the number one thing that they, they wanted those soldiers to be, have the capacity for. You wouldn't think of it because when you're shooting at, at other people, but so humor is, is massively important. Yeah. Um, humor tapping into that inner child, that joy, 
Yeah. I'm Not always keep- easy, man. If you ask people who work on game day, you know, Perps wrote a book about this. And who did? Kirk Herbst wrote a okay. book. You know, I, I worked for, for, you know, 26 years. And Fowler, that man is so intense. He's probably intense brushing his teeth in the morning. And, maybe, you know, and, I, and it was interesting to, to read that from, uh, it was an author that I know really well who helped Kirk on the book, but, but the two of them, you know, coming up with the paragraphs describing, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's sort of like my work face that, that was what I did. And he's right. referring, I think specifically back to the early part of game day when it was hard work and it wasn't always like Kumbaya yeah. there. I, I've talked about this on, on, podcasts and interviews i mean there was a lot of periods in the show where you know there was friction and tension not not between the guys in the set as much but producers directors coordinating producers management you know it, it, it's not i said how collaborative tv was what a shared experience it is yeah. friction's innate to that you're not going to get along with everybody all the time especially when you are working your ass off and trying to make a show good and you have different ideas about that so you know i i, I could be like super intense to a fault i think and, and a couple of people that I really trust and like a, along the way have delivered important messages. And I think it's, it's useful for anybody to hear is like, don't be afraid to show that you're enjoying, you're, you like your job, right? You're enjoying this. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you like doing game day. It's a pleasant experience for you, right? Yeah. Show, show that it, shit. show yeah, that shit like- to people because th- that's going to make them feel better. You know, when you have that role, any TV show, whether it's play by play or host, you're, you are the point guard. Yeah. You know, and you are going to, I mean, you take all the shots, that's for sure, but you distribute and your vibe is contagious, whether it's positive or negative. And so there's so many people in show business that have a very toxic negative vibe. Okay. Yeah. In all forms. You want to name it. some names? You want to call um, some people out, Chris? Come on, Chris. I don't know, man. We were just uh, having a conversation about a, somebody who hosts a game show forever and how it was like so obvious that- like they were just hating it. Hating. Is this Alex Trebek Jeopardy? Are you calling out Alex Trebek? No, Alex Trebek is gone. <laughs> he oh. was he was not that. He he was a hero. I'm not going to name the name because I just there's no traction I'm, I'm, for me I'm, to I'm, do I'm, it. Okay, it listen, it's just very small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you listen to what I'm saying, and people probably can figure it out. But you know, I just thought, how sad. You know, it's all about the money at that point, and so there's no joy left. There's no fulfillment. There's no challenge. Literally, could like do it in a coma, and um, and. I just felt like, wow, when, when someone is in that position, when you've done something for so long and it's not the essence of doing it, it's just the sheer money or it, the, you, nothing else came along better. And so you just stick it out can keep doing it. I think at some point, self-loathing comes into play, don't yeah. you? Because you, 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 not only do you hate your job, or you, you just hate the fact that you ended up there doing it and you didn't, you didn't have the foresight or the whatever say so no to the money and move on. And I think, I think that that's, that's the, that's the part you, you talked about earlier, you know, how, how do you keep a positive sentiment, but you like yourself, I mean, avoid the things that create self-loathing. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's 2022. There's literally no excuse. It's never been easier to pursue your passions and actually turn those passions into a profit. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a week or a month. But if you stay committed and consistent, you can create whatever fucking reality you desire. Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful thing, right? So 
I, but you d- just don't expect to get rich off of it. I mean, if that's your motivation, I mean, it can happen. Yeah. But but you can create your own platform. You can create your own voice, um, your own brand, to, to use over overused word. But but and and that there should be joy in that. That should be a, a cause and a quest that you believe in that makes you happy. Um, doesn't mean you can manifest that into massive amounts of cash. You, some people do, but sure. it, that is far from given. But the other part, you do have the ability to create, and you have the power to. To um, I realized that that be fulfilled. One of one of my coaches that that I brought on, he was like one of the first coaches that I invested a significant amount of money in. He told me something that really resonated, and it was basically most people, especially in the online space, they focus on building multiple streams of income. And he told me just keep focusing on multiple streams of impact different ways to impact people in a powerful way and the money will follow as long as you're patient and you actually are committed to the mission that you say you are the money authentic to yeah authenticity and that and that honestly yeah. that resonated with me because I like that it's hard especially like doing it and i know we have to wrap up soon but like i remember just waking up this wasn't even that long ago that i was doing this like literally waking up at 5 30 a.m to train a 6am client in person, going to their house. And like, you know, my boys, this was like a Monday morning. My boys were like at live, you know, <laughs> popping bottles. And I'm like, and I'm like, damn, like, like, am I like, do, am I doing things right? Like, I feel like, I feel like this is so hard. And I mean, those times come through it. Like I, I look back and I'm so grateful that I've kind of stayed on this path um you like doing what you're doing and so you're okay with with delay gratification which you, you have to be i mean I, I think that's what you know so many people want it to happen like right now and people a lot more high powered than me the, the gary vaynerchuk's people are out there trying to drive home the message that um that's not how it works yeah we're a slave to instant gratification i mean we live in a society where you can just swipe right to have sex you can hit your phone uber eats to what, order what, food what happens that way no yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like, and, and we're a slave to those instant hits of dopamine. It's so fucking easy now. So how do you get people that have grown up in the, in the smartphone era when they don't know anything other than having a smartphone in their hand to understand that? Because it, it, the world is about instant gratification. And I think that I deal with these young athletes. We were talking earlier about, um, you know, Gen Z and they get hit with all kinds of labels. Yeah. soft, no resilience, selfish. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's not true, but I understand the foundation for those labels because, you know, they're, this generation is used to limitless choices Yeah, and, and getting things, getting what they want right now with the swipe of a finger. And so success doesn't happen that way in sports. And so people want to want to throw labels around the minute, somebody hits the transfer portal or seeks a better opportunity or sits out a bowl game because they, you know, rather than playing for old state, U, it's more important to protect the ACL for what they've got down the line. Right. They're making a business decision, which is hard for older people to fathom. I but- got two words for you. Airplane mode. <laughs> like seriously though, this is what I, this is the first, one of the first things I have my students do in the first week of working with me is the first 30 minutes of the day, their phone's on airplane mode. They go through their morning practices. They're not reacting to other people's problems. 
They're not elevating their Mm. cortisol levels. They're not getting in a state of stress, right? Like focus that first part of your day on yourself, filling up your cup right now. Like how the hell am I supposed to give to anyone else when I got an empty cup? So utilize airplane mode throughout the day, 30 minute windows and like ground with your breath, ground with nature, like you know all about and, and, and really prioritize yourself rather than drowning in the sea of distractions. You said that really well. I mean, I, I, I don't, I didn't think about that. I mean, obviously distractions and we, you stare at the screen and you know, I, you can check the way, is it okay to check the weather or is that other people's problems? I mean, I mean, I, but, but there's certain, certain apps where yes, you're, I get, I get news off of, you know, Twitter and so on. And, and I'm on Instagram all the time too, but I think that's really smart not to allow other people's stuff to populate your head first thing in the morning. And at night you bookend your day. Okay. You bookend your day. And again, the last thing about it, like when you go to sleep, your body's supposed to be in a parasympathetic state where your rest digest, right? And if you, first of all, you're exposing your, your, your optic nerves to blue lights, which is going to release cortisol and suppress melatonin. The worst thing you would want to do anyway is look at your device. But in addition to that, it's all the shit that we see, like whether it's mainstream media, whether it's just social media, and we just subconsciously have all of these habits that have been ingrained in us. And a lot of times we're not even aware of them. We're not even aware that like every time we're at a traffic light, we open up Instagram Mm -hmm. and we're watching other people's stories. We're watching other people live their life instead of living our own. And I'm like, fuck that, man. I'm too busy creating my own story, my own, my own reality that I can be proud of to watch other people. You monitor screen time. You do, do you check yourself or do you just do now it's so second nature for you. You don't have to worry about. I mean, Having don't the phone me in your face there's, too much. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely times where I, I probably go down rabbit holes, but like, I'm pretty conscious of it. Like my biggest thing is my screen time, if you looked at it, is pretty fucking high, but I'm creating. Okay. And the world, I feel like most of the world is consuming right? Hopefully they're consuming my content, your content, this content, <laughs> right? But like we live in a lot, we live in a world of consumers, consumerism and that steals away from your creative power. And I always want to make sure when I'm on my phone, I was telling this, I was t- having this conversation with this girl I was with last night, like, and she busted out her phone. I was like, damn, am I that boring that you feel the need to grab the phone? And I wasn't saying it in a judgmental way, right? Cause I know I'm not, I'm entertaining as fuck, but, but what I was <laughs> Maybe saying that, that to her, <laughs> but I was saying that I was saying that because like, if I'm with you and we're having a drink or whatever it is, or I'm with Santiago or I'm recording, I'm in that place. And if I'm on social media replying to comments, I actually want to be present with that. So I can be thoughtful with my responses. I can get back to people in a way that actually feels good rather than multitasking and never really doing things at a high level. Don't you want to go over to a table at a restaurant with a family of four and just snatch the cell phone out of all of their hands, take away the kid's iPad. We're going to, we're going to put these, uh, these yeah. devices in a lead bag. You're going to actually have to talk to each other for this meal. I know we sound really old, but I mean, I see you, 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 you see it on dates all the time, Yeah, all the time. 
Yeah. Then, then you see, you know, then, then it, it's not just young people. I mean, you see, hopefully, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to get in a, a, a nice, long, loving relationship, you know, you're not, you, you haven't exhausted everything you have to say to each other. And you're, and, and I know plenty of seniors who sit there and look at their phones too at a restaurant. Yeah. Couples that are way up in years and all they're doing is staring at this thing that, you know, didn't even exist for 75% of their life. And now they suddenly can't live without it. The expense of actually talking to each other. Yo, there's something that you just said, Santiago. I'm sorry. We're going to wrap this up, but no, there's something you just said. And it triggered something else that you told me when we were together last week or two weeks ago, when I asked you about your first marriage and I was like, were there any red flags early on that you I may only have, have ignored? one marriage to be clear? I've only had one marriage. Oh shit. No, this was my, <laughs> this was okay. Okay. Sorry. This Jennifer, was, there was no other marriage. I didn't tell anybody what? in a bar. <laughs> oh my God. There was only no, no. one wife. Okay. So she, she is my first marriage and no, last and only. No, Chris, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> Jennifer, I apologize. No, so, so I was with my mentor, David, um, at the standard actually a week ago. And he is like, you better get out of trouble right now. <laughs> exactly. I'm getting out of trouble. So him and his partner, I'm always asking him like just lessons from their relationship. They have a beautiful marriage for over 10 years, but his first wife has really been like, like caused a lot of issues, like up until present moment. Right. And I asked him, I was like, cause I know him. And I was like, it, it just seems crazy that you would have been in a, re- a long-term partnership with this person. Like, were there any red flags early on that you ignored? And his response was, yeah, the second date we were on, we had nothing to talk about. And, and I was like, oh shit. Like, that's a pretty big red flag. That's a pretty big red flag. And you were Unless just you're just staring into each other's eyes and non-verbally just vibing. I mean, I, there's something to be said for that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it didn't seem like that's what was going on. Yeah. And I'm just, Again, Jennifer, <laughs> deeply, deeply, I'm sorry. I apologize. That was, that was like, yeah. She's really too busy co-producing our own podcast to, to listen to too many others. So All I, right. I, well, I know you're watching this I'll one. Make listening sure she to tunes it. out before this part. All right. Before we wrap this shit up, I know we got to go. I know we got to hit a little Friday evening happy hour. Santiago, can you pull up that picture with the one and only Kobe mm. and I was just scrolling through That's pictures memory, of you. Yeah. Can you just tell me about maybe this moment and maybe a lesson yeah, that you learned from Kobe? Chrissy Everett and I are calling a Coco Golf match at, at the U.S. Open. Kobe, you know, through his, his kids, was, a, was a, a fan of tennis, a fan, a fan of youth tennis, and he wanted to see Coco's match, and he's a huge, um, he's, a, he's a passionate fan of other sports besides basketball. And he was there watching this match. And it was very, very cool for him to pop up to the booth. And you can see, like, you know, Chrissy and I are, like, smiling bigger than he is. But, yeah, it, it, you know, Kobe is such a powerful figure. I wasn't a Lakers fan, man. I, you know, I, listen, I, and I don't vouch for everything he did in his life. But in terms of uh, the effect that he's had on, on, on other athletes, Djokovic, uh, Novak Djokovic was a huge mentee of Kobe. Kobe gave him a lot of important lessons and and, and how to approach the game mentally and how to stay hungry and how to stay on the, on the right track. And so we're down in Australia. I just had a conversation though, like about this. And that's when the news came in. This, this is at the U S open. And then the next grand slam on the tennis calendar was the Australian open, um, when his helicopter crashed. So 
it was that's that's uh, poignant to think about. I mean, we should all have Kobe hanging around, giving wisdom to us for for decades more. But uh, it it was cool. He he was he was the real deal. Is there any? I appreciate you sharing. Is there? Uh, is there any other? encounter and i'm sure there's so many but like is there one that maybe immediately pops up with a high profile athlete that really resonated differently for you maybe it's the way they were the kindness their generosity something that really resonated and left an imprint on you we i mean so many i mean so so lucky to to have met a lot of people who i mean you know to to meet muhammad ali in an airport, you know, and, and, and we're on the same plane and, you know, just to see the power of his presence. I mean, I, you know, we didn't have a meaningful encounter. He didn't impart something on me that stuck with me, but just to, just to be in his space and sort of just see his, his vibe. I mean, you know, what, then, then there are folks like I, I grew I mentioned, I grew up outside of Chicago. So I was a Bulls fan from birth. And so obviously there were some rough years and then Michael arrives. And so to be able to hang out, with Jordan and know him and, you know, be in a group where it's, you know, Jordan, Barkley, Quinn Buckner, a couple other people, you know, in, in the basketball world, after a round of golf, Jordan's got a cigar going, you know, he's busting Barkley's balls. They're going back and forth. They're telling stories and I'm just sitting there taking it all in. I wasn't like a fly on the wall because I was in the circle, but I was doing a hell of a lot more listening than talking and just to see him you know it's what if you watch the last dance you kind of see different mm. sides of michael jordan that was certainly a really cool side where the all the intensity of his um commitment to his job and all that that wasn't a part of that experience it was just it was so neat and there were other times like that too so you know to get to see people in their unguarded moments and you know virtually every coach you can think of and the great tennis players like you know serena and, you have and, the picture of Serena? Oh, yeah. Let's see, Serena. This is... Um, I used to have a crush on her. I think I told you. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people do. I mean, Serena is just a, a, a magnetic, charismatic, larger than life. You know, you know. I mean, listen, her life was challenging and difficult. Sometimes she would walk on to sets like this, and her eyes are barely open, and she didn't have any energy. And you thought, oh, boy. But then, you know, she, she would just turn it on and, and find the energy in a, in a really, really busy schedule to kind of light things up. And, you know, just to, not too far from here down in Key Biscayne, when the Miami Open was played at that venue, um, Serena won it a million times, but she, she would stay at the same hotel. A lot of the players stayed at the same hotel we did for years. And, you know, there's a beachside bar down there. And, you know, Serena and group showed up in a really celebratory mood. I think she had won maybe earlier that day. I think, yeah, obviously she had, she wasn't drinking like this and drinking is a part of the story. Uh, it's actually the point of the story. So I, she must have won the tournament and it was over. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I'm half Irish. I've had a couple drinks before. I'm not a novice. And, and she and I began to talk about this and, and she, we, we have a good, we have a good relationship, but, but she, you know, she just said that, you know, Hey, listen, she could drink me and anybody else in our little group under the table. There was no doubt about it. And I'm saying, like, yeah, Serena, I mean, I'm not, I don't know what you can do. I would never doubt you in any arena, but I'm just, you don't know me. You don't know, you know, right. you, you're making it, you're making a big call here, but I don't know. And, <laughs> and, and so she's back and forth. We were talking about, okay, I drink tequila. She was drinking Jack Daniels. And, and, and her basic quote is, I hope she didn't mind me. No white boy is ever drinking me under the table. And so we, we, you know, 
Nobody so got under the table, good. but we had a good time with it. And it's just like, God, how, how cool to be able to sort of someone who's the greatest ever in her sport has inspired millions and millions of people and would continue to for the rest of her life. Um, and to be able to call a lot of her championship matches and be there for some tough, tough moments. Mm. I mean, tough moments because she's been trying to win her 23rd major for a while. And I've, I've had to call four finals that she fell short in knowing how badly she wanted it, what it would have meant to the sport, to the whole tennis world and her millions and millions of fans. And then, Hey man, you, you can do your best job to document. You cannot determine the outcome of these events. So I'm at peace with it, but there was, there were so many great moments too. So many, um, I mean, 2003, I got to call her beating her, her sister Venus in the Australian open final. When I had no business calling grand slam finals very early in my tennis career, so yeah, and that that makes me smile. And um, if we get to see her one or two more times in the court, that would be awesome. If that's not her choice, then she's left us with with a lot, man. And I, I can't tell you this, the two sports they do are really different. Tennis and college football are yeah. they they don't share a whole lot on, on face value. But the the fact that you get to see players like this and their whole arc. You see Serena as a teenager. She's now over 40. Same thing with Federer, Djokovic, Rafa Nadal. Wait, Serena's over 40 mm -hmm. now? No way. That's crazy. Way. That's fucking <laughs> wild. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, and, and, and to be able to see their, their whole growth as an athlete and a champion and a person over time is what's neat about covering a professional sport versus college where obviously the names change constantly and you get to see people briefly yeah. at an early stage in their life at an important stage then they move on and you're just a fan watching them on sundays but you don't yeah. get to cover them and that you don't get to over. see that evolution um well man chris i i appreciate <laughs> this is a blast i appreciate all the stories yeah i'm like going through my notes i'm like like i'm throwing that shit we'll do a part two man yeah. you didn't get to all your notes and i didn't get to, I, I i could I can spew more shit. So we'll do a, we'll do a part two sometime. Yeah. We're going to conclude real quick. First of all, I know this is hard for you to receive sometimes, but I want to acknowledge you, Mr. Fowler for. Yeah. Do you have to, <laughs> you have to do this part. And guess what? I get final <laughs> cut off this. You don't get to edit I it told, out. I told Jeremy that I always, I always, I typically edit out the compliments that I get from guests on the podcast because I just like, eh. It makes you squirt. I can't edit this out. It's, it's, your, it's, it's your show, so. Listen, man. <laughs> Seriously, I acknowledge you for everything you've created, the impact. I know sometimes you might not see it viscerally, the impact that you made, but I can tell you, and I know thousands, tens of thousands of other people who lived for those Saturday mornings and all the other stuff that you've contributed and just the way that you lead your life by example, and really just embodying what it means to turn every obstacle into an opportunity and to really be resilient. So I'm very grateful for your friendship. And I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to do this, man. And is there anything that you want to just finish off, maybe a message for the people out there, and then we'll wrap up, grab a drink. First of all, I, I am uncomfortable with compliments, but that was beautifully said. Thank you very much. Don't, don't think I don't appreciate that. That was, uh, you, that bro. was very, very thoughtful. And, and it is, it is, uh, you know, deeply appreciated. I don't know what, what else there is left to say, except, you know, where so much of this is about looking inward and focusing inward and just, you know, cut out the stuff that's unimportant, 
listen to your heart, listen to your inner voice, make choices based on that. Trust yourself, love yourself. And, um, you know, if you love yourself that you're making space for others to love you, if you don't, it's hard for them. So, I mean, uh, that is pretty basic, but, uh, love and self love. And that's what's more important than that. Ha- happiness over everything too. I mean, ha- happiness is not the same thing as success. Sometimes they're linked. Sometimes they're far apart. Mm. You know, people, plenty of people who are successful, but not happy. And I, when I mean successful, I mean, financially, I, the, the definitions that other people put on that, which is not what I would put on it, but, um, you know, make choices and decisions where, I mean, put your own happiness and well-being over everything. Protect your peace, people. Much <laughs> love. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the one and only Chris Fowler, myself. We're signing out. And by the way, I know you probably chuckled a little bit during this episode. Chris, I got, I got Chris to laugh a couple times, but listen, <laughs> laughed if, a lot. if you laughed, if you smiled, if you got any value, show some love, leave a review for the show because we're building this shit back up bigger and better than ever before. So thank you so much for your presence, your energy. We appreciate it. And we've been doing this shit for what? An hour and a half. So it's time to grab some food, Chris, <laughs> some drink and, uh, Yeah. Enjoy your day. Namaste. Well said. Let's go. Oh my goodness. I don't know about you, but that conversation with Chris left me so inspired. And I was really just so grateful for how much Chris was willing to share. He really opened up and shared some vulnerable things that I don't think a lot of people know about him. And I just hope that you got value. I hope that you were entertained. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you did, it would mean the absolute world if you shared this show with a friend and tag me on your Instagram stories at Coach Jeremy 305 I want to know what the biggest takeaway for you was from that conversation. Because the best way to really learn something is to share and teach that thing to other people. So please, please, please share this show, share it with me. And also, if you feel inspired to do so, leave a review for the podcast. It helps a lot reaching more people, making a greater impact in this world. And finally, I have my third cohort of the Microdosing Mastermind starting very, very soon in a couple weeks. So if you are interested in leveling up your mindset, your mental health, and really creating the life of your dreams, this is your opportunity to work with me and have me as your mentor for the next couple months in addition to providing you the highest quality medicine in the world. It's this same mastermind that's allowed some of my students to break free from harmful habits, addictions, and pharmaceutical drugs. So this is your sign to take 100% ownership of your life. DM me the word mastermind on Instagram if you want more info, or you can hit the link in the show notes. I love you so much, fam. Have an amazing rest of your day. And you already know what time it is. It's time to stop settling for mediocrity and start thriving.